Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. And by the way, before all of you people sent really annoyed emails, we've done, I think, three Patreon episodes and the one last week where we uh, full-throatedly talked, denounced all the stuff that's happening. But we're in the point now that we're watching the aftermath of it. And that's why we're talking about this. So stop fucking writing emails. We know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault in the news cycle with people that make it and occasionally ourselves. We're back to our regular intro because I think I feel safe doing it this week. Um, also, we have a guest. And before I introduce the guys, I'm going to introduce her because she's far more important than them. And she just told me how to pronounce her last name and I want to get it right. Anna Kachian of the legendary Red Scare podcast is joining us today. And honestly, I mean, I don't really need to talk about the rest of these guys. doesn't matter what they're going to do. She's here. It's going to be great. I'm Camille Foster. I do various things at Freethink. Matt Welch is here. I, I said I wouldn't introduce him, but I, you know, editor at large. Reason, Michael Moynihan, Vice News, everybody. How the hell are you? It's wonderful to be with you virtually via the internet, via Ansible connection, as it were. During this revolutionary time, Camille, mm. I just saw that Life like the, the marvelous the, the, times, as most Steph says. I was like j- uh, just looking hi at guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Didn't um, most Steph convert to Islam? He has a new name now. Is it Yusef Bay or something? Something like that. Yaslin yeah. Bay. Yasin Bay. That's right. Yassin, okay, and, and yeah. No longer Mr. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that uh, <laughs> when I came in, I just saw that there was a like tank. This is crazy. On the streets in Queens and Middle Village of all places. Because they arrested some Proud Boy guy named Edward uh. Floria. Who had uh, written? Wait, is it his tank? No, 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 no. They, they, they like closed. <laughs> they sent in like the cavalry to get this like we lo- need a loser out of his tank house. to yeah, get no, a proud tr- boy. Tr- truly, truly, it's like an M rap or whatever they're called to pull this guy huh. out because he said something on on Parlor about um, shooting people or something. So anyway, so so Parlor's still up or no? Because I thought it was barely functional. It is down, but I think that the NYPD was just slow getting to this uh, particular post. So um, yeah, apparently there's there's a bunch of archived posts and messages that have been saved um, by by various people, um, despite the status of the app Parlor, which, as most of you listeners know, has been taken down along with a slew of other websites and social media profiles for high profile Trump aligned people. But also some other institutions and media outfits. I didn't know I was so high profile. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> like the Red Scare podcast Twitter. Yeah. Which apparently was was caught up in one of these dragnets. Yeah. Do you have any idea what happened there, Anna? What what what's going on? And and there were rumors um, swirling around that you too had been removed from Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I I know exactly what happened, but my mother always taught me to never correct a mistake in your favor. And this is like (laughs) the most um, attention I've ever gotten in my life, especially male attention. So I'm going to ride it out until (laughs) people find out for themselves. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's really a comical, farcical story that really illustrates what's wrong with like the uh, reaction to like cancel culture or whatever censorship. our official Red Scare Twitter was taken down in this flurry of uh, Twitter bans. 
Um, there is some uh, confusion as to why exactly it was taken down, because technically this is where the story gets like really unsexy and anticlimactic and you guys are going to really regret inviting me on. Um, technically this account has not been active for, for um, two years or something like that because uh, you know, we never use it. We use our personal accounts and basically from what I understand it may or may not have been taken down due to inactivity, but it also may have been kind of a deliberate opportunistic bid on Twitter's part because um, it says that we violated the rules. How an account that's been inactive for two years violates the rules, I don't know. But they don't tell you. If you ask them, will they give you a, a reason or not? Well, I've been suspended before and they gave me a reason after much cajoling. What was it? Um, can I curse on oh, this podcast? Yes, yes. It's Only a little please. bit. Please, <laughs> we encourage it. I, I called a guy retarded in a comment to somebody else without tagging him. So was it the not tagging or was it that you called him retarded? Which was the... I think it was that I called him retarded. Um, I should have called him what he is, which is um, an heir to like a 50 million pound textile fortune. Oh. And he, w- <laughs> he was trying to get me branded as a... As a um, Kind of like a fascist or a Nazi. Who is this person? Um, his name is Luke Turner. He's kind of like a, a an artist. Yeah, like yeah, heavy yeah, yeah. Bold quotes, but he has this idea in his head that I'm like the uh, second coming of like Lenny Riefenstahl or something, <laughs> and he wants to. So you're the me. Jewish Lenny Riefenstahl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so how long was that banned for? I think it was under six months. But uh, the long story short, somebody at Substack ended up intervening on my behalf with Twitter and they let me back on because it was all like a giant misunderstanding. Six months for a retard? No, I was permanently banned. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think the second time around, it's really unclear why our Twitter was taken down. I mean, I say good riddance because I don't use that account and would prefer not to (laughs) think. In fact, I was somewhat mad because this ban reminded me that this Twitter account existed (laughs) and I had been like happy to forget um, but I ended up deactivating myself because uh, people were warning me that um, I might be next. And in fact, some people who um, know some other people at Twitter were telling me that there was employees empl- uh, reporting me internally, which I don't I have no way to like, uh, you know, ascertain sure. the veracity yeah. of those claims. That could also be like a total rumor. This as has to be true because it's happening everywhere. Every company has people. And it's always internal, like. Spotify keeps complaining about podcasts that are on their platform. They kind of tried to get Joe Rogan off after they spent, what, $110 million to get him. And like 25 people were like, this is really offensive. We have to get rid of it. And, you know, publishing companies have that often. It doesn't surprise me that it happens at Twitter. Who's mad well, at my, you in general? Like, like I have no idea. Isn't Left, there a, leftists? <laughs> I don't know. But like, what's, what's, the, what's the basic complaint that you're, uh, you're too rude, you're too dirtbaggy? What's, what's their problem with you? Um, I, I think they think that I'm a, a racist, a sexist, transphobic, fascist, just you name it. It's like a wedding cake with like different terms on it. I don't know. I reject huh. the term dirtbag left. I'm like way too glamorous for the dirtbag left. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a dirtbaggy thing, but I, I don't know. People are kind of like irrationally. I chal. I mean, I, you know, we can get this out of the way, but I challenge anybody to find anything racist or transphobic that I've said in the last, um, let's cap it at the last two years because I've been extra careful. At least the last 10 hours. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But this is your first mistake. 
because the rules of the game are they get to decide what is racist and transphobic. Yeah. And you have to agree. Yeah. And a refusal to accept those rules of the game is in fact racist and transphobic. So you lose. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that that's totally true. I think I said I liked Wu Tang Clan once, and they were like, "White girls can't listen to Wu Tang." <laughs> Cancel. That is that is actually cultural appropriation. Yeah, it is totally. Wu Tang is also cultural appropriation. <laughs> appropriation, so it ought to of cancel Asian out. culture. Yeah, I, I just, I just yeah. like white people can't listen to Wu Tang. I did see Wu Tang live once at Art Basel. So, so that's like, I mean, that's, that's very pre- gay. That's pretty gay. That's Tony yeah. Soprano. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's, <laughs> we're going to ban her from this podcast for six months for coming yeah. away. Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody so else does I it, do, but they're just especially listeners. Especially your own daughter. <laughs> but, should, uh, but I do have an urgent burning question. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was going to ask this before. You are holding the microphone in your hand mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And I want to, I want to say for anyone listening, you have one of the most celebrated and revered podcast in america i mean you are america's sweetheart this is well, someone said, go this. Moynihan said this uh-huh. but you're very successful at the podcast game and you are holding the microphone in your hand yeah why are you doing that um because you know i'm a i'm a russian peasant woman at heart and i don't <laughs> like taking the easy way out on principle i'm gonna make this as hard and unpleasant for myself as possible but not like not like challenging in a in a meaningful sense that sets you up for personal growth and fulfillment just challenging in a stupid and inefficient way that's very Russian. i mean dosh and i you know we we were fulfilling our own merch orders squatting on the ground oh my god but <laughs> like packaging stuff like there's you know like uh, uh flex of our dna in these envelopes <laughs> that's a bonus which yeah. everybody wants the, yeah the stakhanovite but, but you know, work ethic of that i hope yeah <laughs> but you know we i mean we did it like last month but, you, <laughs> but which leads to like one of the many platforms that you've been uh, kicked off over deep platform from shopify uh, yeah. got rid of you too. And the best thing about this was that I heard you talking about, I heard the beginning of the podcast. So I looked, uh, you mentioned a, a piece about it and I looked it up and it was in the, I didn't even know that there was a U.S. version of the sun, the British, uh, oh. public, the sun, like, you know, which changes got rid of the page three girls and everything. But the best thing about it was that the, the headline was sick stunt and, uh, Influencers, I didn't know you were influencers, slammed for selling, quote, disgusting ISIS-themed T-shirts promoting their podcast. And explain yourself, um, you are a Jewish Nazi and a Jewish uh, ISIS uh, fanatic. This seems to be, you seem to gravitate to anti-Semites. So uh, what happened here? Where, with the Shopify? Yeah. I mean, that's another kind of long and tedious and ultimately like very unsexy story. if you guys really want me to go into it, but, yeah. I, but I can, people report you I, though, right? Is that basically what happens? People reported us. We've been selling the shirt for for two years um, without, you know, there were a, a few kind of like alarmed remarks at the outset, but generally people didn't really care or question it. Um, I, I think that this time around people were sort of like horny for outrage. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> And I, the the main thing is like you know with all of these complaints that n- not only the ones that concern me or my podcast but in general you can sense that the fact that people are not really outraged they're they're waiting or or kind of like 
um, anticipating other people to be outraged. Mm. You know, we got a lot of messages like, well, imagine if somebody who survived the terror in Syria <laughs> was wearing this shirt in the airport. And I was like, what kind of a retarded hypothetical situation is that? Why would you wear an ISIS-themed or inspired shirt to the airport? <laughs> there, but, but it's also, it's an ISIS parody shirt. Like right. It is yeah. not an ISIS themed <laughs> no. shirt. It's an ISIS parody shirt. It has chicks on it. The, the best it thing chicks on it. it's a it's a it's a mashup of like the two, you know, uh two different ext- like extreme radical right wing cultures, ISIS and like um kind of like white supremacist Larry the cable guy getter down culture and and this shirt was created I, I hate to you know burst everyone's bubble but this shirt was created by like a Palestinian American artist who's way more of a leftist than I'll ever be he does something called organizing yeah that's yeah, I but it was made by a man by a man yeah the best thing well, he's is a, in he's this, an ally in the Sun <laughs> article my favorite bit is um, there's a quote in it because you have to pad these articles out. There's really nothing here. So they troll Twitter and find this. The one they pulled was my favorite. Uh, my dad's entire family is from Mosul. If he saw you wearing this in public, it would just remind him of the pain, suffering, and trauma of our family and friends and people. I don't know what that last bit. So um, <laughs> I think that if your dad's from Mosul, you're probably not going to be too offended by the Red Scare It's going to be kind of lower order. Yeah, I don't the, think yeah. that's... Yeah. That are, facing you the whole siege of Mosul is probably uh, worse won't care so much about a t-shirt i think the thing that really bothers me about this moment isn't so much how brutal or draconian it is it's how cringe and gay it is (laughs) (laughs) i think things were a bit more kind of uh at least openly savage in the soviet union Mm -hmm. Which made them like less embarrassing somehow. Yeah, well, things things do get savage occasionally here too. Yeah. I suppose, uh, and it, and it sort of depends on the day. Um, I I wonder if we should maybe pivot to some of the the current goings on in the world, uh, especially because there was some historic occurrence in Congress today. The House uh, did vote to impeach President Donald Trump for a second time making him the first president to be impeached twice. You've heard that 100,000 times. And I suspect you also know like the vote total. All the Dems, 222, voted in favor of this. 10 Republicans. Um, Did did Amash actually cast the vote? Well, Amash is not in Congress, dude. He's not in Congress. Uh, Our own subscriber who... But he would have cast the vote. ...is the successor to Amash, uh, uh, Peter Meyer, uh, did vote to impeach. He was one of 10 Republicans. Was, Was Amash the only Republican... To vote in favor of impeachment last go around? He, well, I guess he was an independent. I think he was point. an independent and then he became a libertarian uh, later. Um, was he the only one? I think yeah, he was, yeah. I think so, yeah. And Romney was the only one in the yeah. Senate. It's pretty amazing that it's yeah. the second thing we talk about. And I was like, oh, yeah, like the president was impeached for the second time. And it's just like. I saw people like, like complaining that like America wasn't uh, acting as if this was momentous enough. Like people were like just making their own guacamole at home and like it's just another. What is it, Wednesday? Yes, it's Wednesday. Well, um, I, I mean, it's like the boy who cried wolf. You impeach a guy enough times and people will start to not take it seriously. <laughs> Meh. Yeah. Meh. Well, I mean, it, it is it is one of those things where it is simply not very consequential in any sort of immediate yeah. sense. We do know that the president is going to serve out the remainder of his do term, we? that there will be a new president, mm-hmm. and then the Senate will take this up and we'll see where things go from there. 
I don't know that we need to necessarily take odds on this. I am curious to know, um, gentlemen and gentle lady, if you all have any perspective on whether or not this is this is important, this is actually something that's very relevant and was urgent that Congress needed to do, or if this is more theater, um, just an opportunity for them to give these 30-second, 60-second speeches that will be great filler for their campaign ads in a couple It years. would be great filler if it, I don't know if uh, you guys listened to NPR doing this because I was driving around to and fro. I was trying uh, desperately not to listen to any of it. Uh, but just when I was in the car and NPR, imagine, right? So like if, if you're watching this on TV, um, most of the time is taken up by the gentleman from Ohio. Is he going to give up his time? No, I give this and this time. And then this, the gentle lady, it's just all this parliamentary bullshit. And then uh, when they finally get to the 30 second speech, which everyone has to say Donald J. Trump, because we don't hear the J. It's just not going to be the same. Um, that's when the NPR person goes, yeah. um, that's uh that's Jim Catco from uh, New York. While he's t- <laughs> like, dude, talk during the other part, not during this part. Um, yeah, uh, to answer your question, um, I think it would be more, uh, it would have been a better idea if you're going to impeach the dude to do it last Thursday. Um, I, you know, I, as we talked about here, I was kind of skeptical. I mean, it's certainly an impeachable offense from my point of view. And then, but then it's a practical question of like, and why are you doing this now? I kind of get why you're doing this now because you want to set a precedent of you just don't act like that and be the president next time. Whoever it occurs to to act like this next time should have, you know, some kind of bright shining. Don't go there. Um, that's the best reason for it. And so just do it straight up. Don't like distract people with the 25th Amendment and some kind of bullshit well, yeah, like mean, a deadline for Mike Pence. That means nothing. You're the Congress. Do your job or the, not. And. Yeah, you know. Camille's coming. It's, it's all theater. I mean, it, the thing about this, and I think that the, the people that responded, you know, not negatively, but were critical of the, I guess, the podcast we did last week or one of the ones we did last week, um, that we weren't outraged enough. And, you know, we said all the correct things, right? This is bad. This is, there's nothing good about this. But the kind of orgy of outrage was so performative and so unbelievably over the top. And, you know, we came here and recorded on Wednesday last week and I pulled up into Chinatown, came off the Manhattan Bridge and I turned, I turned the car off right as Chuck Schumer was comparing it to Pearl Harbor, um, in which 3,000 <laughs> people died uh, in a Japanese sneak attack. And this was, you know, not the same thing. And every time I see, so today, and I'd like to get Anna's perspective on this because I know she's an enormous uh, fan of AOC uh, being that they're both uh, uh, women of the left. Latina. Yeah. You're both, you're Sorry. Both, you're both Latinx. Uh, um, you edit that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, the, the first racist thing you've said in two, in two years. <laughs> um, she put out this video or like Instagram live or something. And I think I sent a bit of it to you guys today. And it was the most embarrassingly performative thing where she was doing this like preacher bit. Where she was like, "Did you see this?" No, and and in this very tight sweater, and she was doing this preacher bit, and and like you know, wow, you have to comment on her on her wardrobe. I just I thought it was really? a little too tight. Is all I was saying. I just I was like, I didn't fit. Wow. No, I mean, oh. if if like Damn. like Jim, I wasn't even gonna go there. I didn't even notice the yeah. sweater. I, well, you know, there's a reason I did. There's like you know, <laughs> sweater me. Well, I mean, I tell you what, Jim Jeffords was wearing a really tight shirt. I'd probably point it out. 
I'd be like, that's the really tight shirt that's, for Jim Jefferson. That's fair. But yeah. she's going. You, you actually usually do, I do. point that out. I'm, I'm always, I'm always looking at his shirts. You always talk about his pets. <laughs> I'm always like, what's his Weird. shirt today? And he, and Alexandre so. Alexandre <laughs> Ocasio-Cortez, her nipples protruding. That was my, my favorite. That's, that's on my prompter right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she, so she's going on. And, and, and one bit, of course, she's like, they were going to kill me. They were here to murder me. And by the grace of God, I was saved from murder. And you read this, Camille, right? Yeah, the NPR headline is, many of us narrowly escaped death. Mm. That is a quote. I don't think I can say this, because if I do say it, you, you'll immediately be accused of, of softening what happened. And, not. And, and you know, I, I think I'm on record talking about that. But does that not seem slightly overheated that uh, she was... She could have put a maybe in there. Could have put a maybe in there. I think, but. I think that's I think that's the call. And granted, like she went through a trauma that none of us went through in the past week, for sure. Um, I mean, uh, my my sure. dad died too, and it made me very like inoffensive and non-alarmist. She's full of shit. This is not a trauma, you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was thinking about like what kind of person. Like you went through a real trauma. Um, she, I think, is a total histrionic and. Uh, it is very politically dangerous should she gain any more momentum or power. Um, I think I will be vindicated or have been vindicated in this critique. But, you know, if AOC wants to see a real coup, somebody should time machine her back to 1993 when Yeltsin sent the tanks into mm -hmm. Parliament and shelled the shit out of it and killed like 150 people. Mm. That's mm. that's a coup, you know. What would you call it? So everyone's everyone's obsessed with like, it's terrorism. It's a coup. They're insurrectionists. When when all of that conversation, which is a complete waste of time, comes up, is there like is, do you call it a, a coup? Do you think this is a coup? As a Russian who is uh, you know watching Yeltsin shell the White House at five years old? Yeah, I mean, no. I think that it's a bunch of hooligans um, running amok in in the capital. I mean, like you know, I I'm with you guys in the sense that I have a very hard time taking any of these proceedings seriously outside of as a piece of um, a kind of post-Soviet inspired theater. This seems to be borne out by the fact that Trump is out in a week anyway, as many have pointed out. Um, and, you know, I was asking my friends, like, what's the move here? And some people seem to be under the impression that they're trying to block him, for example, from pardoning Snowden and Assange. I, again, have no way of ascertaining or assessing the veracity of this claim. It seems to me highly unlikely. Um but, you know, incidentally, I think if he did have the balls to pardon Snowden and Assange and shut down OnlyFans, which is way more dangerous than Parler, <laughs> uh, he would go down in history as the most revolutionary president of all time. But, you know, and also conceivably the the move to to push this into like a Senate trial, um, it, it, maybe they're waiting to kind of or hoping to bar him from holding office in the future. I don't know. Um but, you know, I looked at the the video clip that you guys sent me of the it was like a CNN clip of Jake Tapper and Anderson Cooper, two of the most deplorable people on television. And um, Tapper cited a bunch of incidents like El Paso, Charlottesville, Tree of Life and so on as, as evidence of like Trump's dog whistling and incitement of insurrection or whatever. Um, and called this particular incident the um, the most uh, direct such incident. Yeah, this is the one that he chooses to cite as re really. 
I, I think like I'm with Lana Del Rey on this in that, um, you know, if, if Trump is guilty of inciting violence and the mainstream media is just as guilty. So impeach them, too, hmm. because there's no I mean, I don't think that there's, you know, to me, it seems like really kind of like obvious ideological warfare. And the fact that you can't even push back in any way against the argument that he's inciting violence, which may or may not be valid, by the way. Um, is already a sign that something's wrong. Yeah, it, it it does seem to me that there's a there's a broad universe of things that you can't say. It's certainly the case that for many people it will be exceedingly taboo to have even broached the subject of whether or not AOC's claim that she was in in grave danger and was on the verge of being murdered to to scrutinize that is almost certainly to be regarded as off limits, certainly to think about, you know, the language and to parse whether or not this is sedition or anything else is, again, a, a bridge too far for many people. And it, it also seems like a circumstance where pretty much any level of opprobrium, any sort of condemnation is fair. It is fair to suggest that, you know, this, this actual coup d'etat is emblematic of Donald Trump's deep sycophancy and his, his horrible uh fetish for like child pornography like you could say anything yeah and it's it's instantly valid because it can't be critiqued but there is i think a question that i'd put to you because i think the question of whether or not this is incitement is is one that could be debated like there's a legal definition of incitement uh -huh. and then there's some sort of practical notion of incitement and it certainly seems to me that absent donald trump consistently lying and manufacturing nonsense about having the election stolen away from him mm -hmm. and absent him deciding to attend this event and whipping up that crowd. Granted, we have more details now. We do know that some people were actually breaching, you mm -hmm. know, the, the barriers at the Capitol at while Donald Trump was speaking. So they were away <laughs> from there already doing some of these activities, but absent, Trump's participation, absent his whipping up, it seems less likely, if not unlikely, that this particular event would have gone so very badly. Um, I allow for the possibility that it might have happened because we've seen so much political violence in the past couple of years, and some people uh, fault me mm -hmm. for suggesting that. But it, it does seem that he has some culpability here, and I don't, I don't doubt that you would agree with that, right, Anna? I mean, yeah, I think everybody is culpable to some extent, I don't know if that provides a valid pretense to impeach him for um, inciting violence. I, I think that given the kind of um, unique, expedited nature of this impeachment, there is a deeper, more politi political vendetta that's going on. Um, you know, I think like the media is, is partly to blame um, for the exacerbation of events. Um, you know, they they're the ones that eagerly report on this kind of stuff because he's the one paying their allowance, you know, um, and mm. Twitter's valuation, for example, after they gave him the boot plummeted. Right. Um, what, you know, and I always ask like, what will the media do when he's gone? They're going to have to manufacture another Trump. Um, and they mm -hmm. don't want to let him go, you know, and it's like a, a abusive relationship, the dysfunctional marriage that they're trapped in. And I think the politicians are the same, like, you know, apparently, right, the, the Senate will now take this to trial. Um, I suppose if they really want to humiliate him, they can, you know, why not? 
Um, but it also kills two birds with one stone, right? They can make an example out of Trump and then invent some make work for themselves instead of doing, you know, alleviating the situation, like the the pandemic, the crisis. Um, and I think like the point to remember here is also I, my hunch is that the Democrats don't want kind of a, a, a majority of power with no checks because the American system thrives on an obfuscation of power. So every mm. side needs each other to kind of launder, pawn off their responsibility. And, you know, the Democrats have a history of like preemptively accusing Trump, their opponent of, of something that they themselves plan to do. Um, you know, we can get to this later, of course, and discuss it in greater detail. But my feeling is like the real coup is the one that's taken being undertaken now by the tech sector on the behalf of the Democratic Party. I know maybe that sounds like totally alienating and off-putting to people. To me, it makes perfect sense. The, the, there's, you know, an informational war going on. Well, who was it, the woman who worked for Hillary Clinton, who said, uh, I guess it was on Twitter, and I'm saying, you know, it's, this is, we're doing this right now, considering that uh, the tech companies all know that now we're in charge. We're in charge uh, of everything. And now that we're in charge of everything, you best play nice with us and give us what we want. And there was essentially saying that outright. I don't know the exact exact wording of it. I'll have to I'll have to look it up. But it seems that 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 is you know partially what's going on is there's a political component to this because if you if you're looking at it in this sort of honest way and saying well this kind of messages are being spread on these these platforms and rather than actually shutting down the messengers and of course people say that parlor wasn't doing that i don't think anyone who's saying that is actually on parlor i mean i'm not i can't really say whether or not that's true and i don't really trust the people who are telling me that's true so were they doing that well i don't know but but you know obviously all this stuff happens on facebook all this stuff happens on twitter and of the i guess the big kind of first 15 20 people that were arrested after the the you know storming of the Bastille, um, none of them had parlor accounts, and that was the I mean, amazing thing to Cheryl Shan- Sandberg. Did you see the video that she made <laughs> oh, of like um, you know we took we took we did the work to uh, make to to ban this from our site, and parlor just didn't didn't take it as seriously. So like, you motherfucker, there's no way that there is more of the people who went into the Capitol who use parlor than Facebook. I will, I will take that bet. There's no way. I mean, it's a, it's a, it seems like a much more Mm. marginal platform. Also, I mean, I, I actually, you know, I agree with you, Camille, that Trump as the sitting president has some culpability, culpability in things that happen in this country. Right. Um, But it, it is becoming, I think, clearer and clearer um, kind of the immense power that tech companies wield and also um, how much of a pawn he was in all of this, because I do also think that generally speaking, he's an aberration, right? Not Mm -hmm. like um, a a kind of, uh, I mean, he certainly did bode, he bodes, like I was having this thought that like, you know, if somebody like Biden is our Yeltsin, well, then that means that there's going to be like a Putin on the horizon, Mm -hmm. If we don't, you know, turn the train around. But I think like Hakeem Jeffries summed it up nicely during the proceedings. I think he he did it. He summed it up the best. He said, Donald Trump is a living, breathing, impeachable offense. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And this is what I mean, he really kind of like said the quiet part loud because that's what this is about. It's about a conflict of sensibility and uh, kind of political retribution. I think 
the Democratic Party, these people are not really doing themselves a favor in terms of making a case for their own legitimacy. You know, in bringing these actions against Trump, who's no choir boy, you know, I agree with you guys. Um, they are laying bare for the American people, you know, just how corrupt and illegitimate their own rule is. I mean, are, it's it's worth are, pointing out that, you know, the Capitol got ransacked and it's pretty stressful for people to deal with. I, I, I take a fair number of people at their word, including some Republicans today, including Kevin McCarthy, who's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, but he laid culpability at Donald Trump's feet. He didn't vote for impeachment. But he kind of made he I think he even used the phrase impeachable offense. Certainly Chip Roy from Texas, also Republican, used the phrase uh, impeachable offense. I don't think that everyone's being hysterical who comes to that conclusion in the wake of the trauma of it all. But I am uh, very interested in. So the big tech coup, what's the what is the power? What's the what is the what is the end game? What do you see there? Um, well, no, it just um, before we get to that, I was thinking also that I, I totally agree with you that there's something kind of like, of course, traumatic and horrible about the storming of the Capitol building. Um, but I feel like no doubt part of this, like kind of the animus of this like carnivalesque explosion on Capitol Pil Hill was a Capitol Pill, sorry, um, <laughs> was um, people saying like, hey, we don't take you seriously. We don't think your symbols and myths are legitimate anymore. Um, you know, they were literally hanging out in Pelosi's office and stealing AOC's shoes. This doesn't have the typical <laughs> contour. You know, somebody's like sniffing her worn shoes. Um, maybe they'll end up on eBay or something. So you want to have? Yeah. I, I just, I are you, just are you five foot four? <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll make it fit. He'll, yeah. he'll, make, it he'll fit. make it work. I mean, I, I, I before. I wonder. I mean, before we get to before we get to the social media um, companies and the tech juggernauts and and what the bad things that they might do, the monopoly they may wield, the the power there, what the Democrats may do now that they're in control. Um, I, I wonder if we could focus on just the events of last week for a little bit longer, because obviously when we had our conversation last week, gentlemen, like we were in the immediate aftermath of all of this. We really hadn't had an opportunity to digest things. We're about a week removed from things now. Um, right. And we've seen a great deal more and been able to digest a lot more content. I know a lot of people, um, their perspective on things changed radically when they saw you know, more of the footage. We had early on a lot of questions. We had sensible questions about <laughs> the failure of law enforcement um, on that particular day. Many people had ridiculous questions about the failure of law enforcement on that day, presuming that any um, sort of failures have everything to do with uh, either collusion on the part of the police department and law enforcement who were working with in league with the, the terrorists mm -hmm. that were ransacking the Capitol, um, or it was just because they're racist. And they like white people, so they won't shoot and murder all of them. As except for, except for when they the did. Capital. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's just that's that one, but it's just, just one. one. It's just one. They should have shot a lot more people. <laughs> well, but yeah. but I wonder just what it. Having had time to digest this, is there anything about your immediate perspective or instincts around this that has changed in a fundamental way? Um, having sort of observed things, I, I, I know for me, like the question about like, whether or not this is a coup d'état, given something you just said, Anna. Like when I when I look at this. It's hard for me to see how anyone can interpret this angry mob surging into the Capitol and doing both sort of silly shenanigans and 
engaging in acts of violence and vandalism. Like all of those things were happening, but there wasn't anything coherent about it. And it certainly isn't, it seems to me, the first step in a legitimate attempt to seize control of government and to stop the the transition of power from actually taking place. That that doesn't seem to be what happened here. And it, yeah. it does seem important that that is the case. I mean, it didn't seem like they had a plan. If you're If you're looking to raise a legitimate insurrection you don't go around you know milling up through offices and sniffing women's shoes you know you have a plan speak for yourself um, but i think like the the way that that um <laughs> the way that the um the, the capitol hill riot and the george floyd protests over the summer were compared and contrasted you know is very telling um i said on my pod Mm. that i think that like you know being a truffle swine for hypocrisy is like the lowest form of discourse um but a lot of people were pointing out you know that it's hypocritical that um you know i think like a lot of leftists were pointing out like well it's hypocritical because if these were black people you would have seen they would have been murdered in mass you should have seen how they would be treated and then on the i think uh, on the more kind of conservative end people were saying like well, uh, BLM got like a carte blanche to do whatever it is they wanted to mm-hmm. do, whereas these mm-hmm. people were stopped in their tracks and neither narrative quite adds up. And it makes you realize something, you know, somebody said to me in conversation today that like there really are no more political positions in this country. Um, there are different confirmation biases that are colliding against each other like bubbles because we know that a lot of violence happened during this riot and a lot of violence happened during the George Floyd protests, but they're actually very similar in a crucial way um, in the sense that this is both were cases of people taking out their frustration at at the system and it's like handling of the pandemic and the lockdown um, through a proxy cause in, in the former, it was this idea that the election was stolen from Trump and that the media has a conspiracy against him. In the latter, it was the murder of a black man by police. Um, maybe you view one cause as more legitimate than the next, but I think that they're both proxy causes, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you look at the george floyd protests which nobody remembers by the way or they're slow they're very quickly kind of waning from memory Mm -hmm. um and there were kind of extensions of them in amsterdam and paris and places that Mm -hmm. have no comparable context for the history of like black american slavery you know yeah yeah there's there's something about that that forgetfulness um that is really really terrifying I mean, those were those were frightening, frightening months to right. to live through. And I, I was watching most of this this mayhem on television because I was in Shenandoah Valley, Virginia at the time, and there was not mayhem and chaos <laughs> taking place. But I was I was watching, you know, blocks that I am familiar with, all of my favorite Parisian finery being ransacked and stolen and uh, taken away from from me in Soho. And not giving me an opportunity to go into Balenciaga, <laughs> blow stacks of cash like that's sad. Like that, it was it was that's frightening. People were of. hurt. People were murdered. Yeah. Um. And we we seem to have completely forgotten about that. And and it is one of those things that at what point, if ever, are we allowed to call attention to the fact that when NPR describes the the Trump mob appropriately as a violent mob of pro Trump extremists, why is it that 
their ability to use that same sort of language for you know a contingent of leftists who are participating in those other demonstrations occasionally actually violent riots like where where was this language when when those other events were going on um and what does it mean that we can't actually bring ourselves in some instances or some people can't bring themselves to acknowledge that this awfulness exists in both places while uh, while holding on to your uh, uh your uh, hypocrisy uh, cr- critique, which is correct, I think. Um, I would like to plant a little toothpick uh, flag in the little cocktail wiener here, Camille, which is you've said a couple of times, we're not allowed to say this. We can't say this. The fuck we, we're we not allowed. The fuck we can't. We're saying it now. Well, well, without, no, we're saying it now. Consequence no, without, and, and without consequence. No, without consequence. I mean, we're, we won't face consequence for saying this meaningfully. I don't want to. I don't want to build into. <laughs> no, I mean, hold on. There, there should be, there should be consequence and criticism for, for dealing in disagreements, right? But not the type, the type that like impacts or threatens your livelihood. Let's put it that way. But I mean, these are also objectively true things. Like I'm, I'm not suggesting anything ridiculous here. Yeah, like, it's just objectively true. And at a minimum, Matt, I think you would agree that it is. It is more than a little taboo to make these observations. I don't believe in taboo. And, I mean, if you're going to be brave and call bullshit, Camille, uh, and that is no, and that and that is the it, and it that be, is like it could be taboo for someone else. And I, I agree. I, I believe in in trampling many taboos. Here's the thing. I've the known taboo is a taboo. For I, I've lived in, you know, the last however long I've been in this wonderful country. Um, uh, in Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., and New York. So I have been surrounded mm. by people who don't tend to be conservative. And a thing that I've heard so often from conservatives in those places or people who are just not reliably uh, on the left um, is the this sort of self defeating, self-marginalizing sense of, well, we can't say this. We won't be able to get to work into Hollywood anymore. And it's bullshit. I hate it. I hate it. It might be true sometimes, but the more you say it and repeat it over and over again, the more that you just sort of uh, ensconce yourself into this little sad corner over here and, and build your own resentments based out of that. I don't believe that you can't be a conservative in, let's say, Hollywood or let's say cable news in in, in New York or whatever your ecosystem um, is. I mean, it's going to be a pain in the ass. But it, I don't think that I don't think the question is that you can't, especially in Hollywood. If you if you make money, people don't give a shit. Right. They'll they'll make your life horrible. There'll be a bunch of teen Vogue writers who write bullshit about you. There'll be constant uh, irritants all around you. Absolutely. For sure. It'll suck. You'll be disproportionately. Lana Del Rey has been disproportionately treated like an <laughs> ogre this past week for no particular reason. Yes. All of Are that you is trying true. to say she's fat. <laughs> no, I think she looks beautiful. She looks great. Uh, and she sings great, but like, let, let me Google it. I, I'll get yeah, back yeah. To it. And um, by the way, no, I think but, Dean Cain's well, career is, would have been very, very successful had he not been a, a Trump uh, guy. Or is he a Trump? Is he a Trump guy, right? Dean Cain. Jesus is he the, he's Christ. a Superman I mean, you, guy. Yeah. You saw what happened with like Ariel Pink, right? He was dropped by his record label. I have friends who were dropped by their galleries for, you know, saying or doing certain things that, that are pretty kind of like a drop in the bucket as far as. Um, kind of political pronouncements are concerned. So there's definitely like reper- repercussions, you know. Um, 
I think, you know, I agree with you to the extent that I think you should be willing to take on and risk those repercussions. Um, otherwise, kind of the whole system goes to shit. But um, what were we talking about? Exactly. The, uh, the protest. But Lana Del, Lana Lana Del, Del Rey yeah, and yeah. how she I, thinks I was just going to ask you how many pairs and, of Balenciaga sneakers you own. <laughs> no, to answer <laughs> your original talking about the tragedy of Chaz. Um, no, but that's, that's another really serious. The, the thing that was kind of infuriating about the kind of aftermath of the, the protests was, you know, all these Chazes that cropped up. And of course, who ends up dying? Two black teenagers, or one of them was maimed, wounded, and the other one was killed um, for joyriding. I mean, they stole a car and were joyriding, but, you know, that's not like a capital crime. Mm -hmm. And they were killed mm -hmm. by these guys who I believe at least one of them was like a volunteer sniper in Syria. Um, so people who are, you know, mentally damaged and adrenaline junkies and seek out uh, kind of terror and violence um and of course this was really underreported it was picked up by british outlets who have less of a dog in the fight i think like the guardian and the independent maybe picked it up um but yeah all in all like i, I think all of these um uh, kind of upheavals explosions of like popular anger and frustration will not continue to abate they will get worse um and of course they're going to be um depicted colored differently depend depending on who is you know doing the action but I, they st all stem from a crucial frustration with the elites of this nation i didn't mean for that to rhyme <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's my, about to get a lot worse i mean I, that's the yeah just to contradict my own self, what I just said, but like we're undergoing what's going to be some kind of great deplatforming and to uh, pick up what Anna was saying earlier, like what, what's the media going to do after Trump? They're going to hunt the, the, right. the, the, like the stragglers from who find storm. Well, I don't, don't want to like, um, you know, place bets on this, uh, impeachment going on and on. But I, I think like, there could be a likelihood because they, the media and the politicians don't want to bury Trump. He's incredibly valuable to to them. If they can kind of burn his effigy, they're they will. You know, I made some joke that he's like kind of like our Gaddafi, and they're gonna um, kind of <laughs> similarly uh, stylish and a great performance artist. Um, <laughs> but I think you know, I think that they they want they want to have like this kind of like scarecrow figure of him that they bat about because it's so useful and it, and they get to like kind of play hot potato with their own responsibility and you know as far as like the the people storming the capital i wouldn't even characterize them as like a unified block of, of violent and aggressive trump pro-trump like supporters i think it's a motley crew there were those people mm -hmm. among them but there was also professional protest ambulance chasers people who get high on like dressing up in costumes and going to protests i think there was some evidence that so certain people that attended these protests or these riots were also in attendance at the george floyd protests that's the boogaloo people but like aren't do you not worry that there is just a uh a measurable population now of people who they're going to go to the january 17th rally whatever those that those are um who are going to be permanently agitated in that corner in the pro-trump corner um and picking fights with antifa which is not going away at all which is still strong not in away. portland yeah. and elsewhere 
Um, and that's kind of with us. And this and the attack illustrated that um, rather than just, you know, Motley Crue, you know, they, Motley Crue's can be scary, too, as uh, yeah, Hanoi sure. Rocks can tell you. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this particular group of people was particularly confusing because they were scary, but also kind of comical at the same time. Right. So you mm. literally don't know what to think. I think part of the kind of consequence of this is that none of us know what to think. And there has been, you know, it's kind of corny and trite to say, um, but there has been kind of an attack overall or an assault on kind of a collective concept of truth that's going to continue, I think, to fracture over time with these like social media purges and so on. I, I, I think, you know, hopefully <laughs> that this will stay more or less contained to social media, but I don't think it will because it's already kind of exploded into real life. I mean, Welch Moynihan, I know it's something that I, I agree with, like deep in my core, this notion that these various manifestations of violence, that the, the specific things that incite people to come out into the streets and to start punching one another and to, you know, raging and start burning stuff down, that the specific causes don't matter nearly as much as most people might imagine, which is not to say that these things are irrelevant. It doesn't suggest that, you know, uh, police, uh, police violence is not important. It doesn't say that Donald Trump isn't a disgusting, shameful liar who's engaged in all sorts of, you know, potentially life-threatening and dangerous behavior. Um, it doesn't suggest any of that, but it does suggest that there's something sort of more more deeply fundamentally wrong especially at this particular moment and with the populace being in such a such a vulnerable state on account of the pandemic and the economic crisis i mean i'd imagine we we broadly agree on that right yeah i think the weird thing for me was that and i remember um, talking about this i think with you camille ages ago that is there going to be a consistency and the, and again to anna's point is that you know finding this hypocrisy is kind of a mugs game and it's it's boring in a lot of ways but this stuff where every sentence had was caveated in the past four years with the phrase without evidence um, which mm. is often the case with politicians. They say things without evidence. They make claims without evidence. They, you know, overstate things, et cetera. And there was this heroic thing that the media, they thought of themselves as incredibly heroic by attacking, you know, the lies and, you know, half-truths and untruths of Donald Trump, most of which were actually half-truths and untruths of Donald Trump. But the, the, the way that I think that, I mean, listening to Matt's point, listening to NPR now, the language that is used, I keep on comparing it to, to 9-11 in the sense, not in the way that everybody else was comparing it to 9-11. This is our 9-11. But after 9-11, I mean, we had these conversations about, let's not call everybody a terrorist. And now there's this mm -hmm. gleeful, uh, we have to call them, if you don't call them a terrorist, I mean, this is people on CNN and MSNBC and NPR, et cetera, um, sounding like sort of David Frum in 2003 or something. How dare you not call them terrorists? You know, Reuters, you use the mm -hmm. word insurgent or something. And there's this sort of battle about language because you're not being as extreme as you should. You're not saying, you know, after 9-11, everyone said, why do they hate us? 
what was nobody asked why we hated them by the way it was always why do they hate us not this is not something that is going to be asked in a situation like this it'll be compared to 9-11 this is the worst thing that's happened since 9-11 but you can ask that question everybody this is by the way the number of people that have said that this is the worst thing that's happened in america since 9-11 um and not marginal people either not you know sort of weirdo types i mean just people i mean there are weirdo types but wait, they're like wait mainstream a second. people have said people have said that this I've compared kind this of, to 9-11 yeah that the capitol hill incident yes. is the worst thing that's happened since 9/11. yes and say, i think it was like the last thing that was this bad and who said that there have they heard that, of covid uh i mean there were people <laughs> i mean no, nobody cares about COVID. yeah, I, the, yeah. Let's be honest. Well, it was like this uh, who said it was like i we don't had really 9/11, care. I mean, now I gonna, care but we have one six <laughs> now it was on the sixth is that what it was Mm-hmm. It's like now this is literally somebody said yeah. this is going who, who said that? Somebody sort of well known. I saw that that I believe that was in the Atlantic. Yeah, I think it was in the Atlantic. It was like this is now one yeah. six. Well, okay, let's act like after nine eleven and ask all the questions that we're supposed to ask, which is, you know, what did we do to make these people in Saudi Arabia want to fly planes into into buildings? No one's asking that, but the guy who's we dressed up like a money? Vi- vi- yeah, exactly. <laughs> um that uh you know, the guy dressed as Viking, a Viking that no one's asking these questions questions but the same thing is that all of these instincts are really poor ones like the other thing is obviously legislation you know the patriot act being rushed through and all these other things Mm -hmm. this is to protect us and we see a lot of this now we're going i mean look cory bush who is been in congress for about eight days is saying that we have to expel expel members of congress who are vote who was voted in by their constituents Josh Hawley might be a piece mm-hmm. of shit, but you can't just say you're gone, buddy. No and mind. that's what she's well, literally did it, did over, overturning it. overturning the results of a legitimate democratic election. Would, <laughs> no, hell you say. Yeah, and didn't Josh Hawley also his publisher dropped his book? Mm-hmm. He had that yeah. book coming out about yeah, the perils of big tech. Yeah, and there's like countless instances. I mean, the Parler CEO was talking about his legal team dropping him. Yes, there are like precedents all over the place. Um, uh, Deutsche Bank severed ties with Trump. They dropped Trump as a client ended business dealings with him mm. um lost a bunch of contracts with new york city today, as yeah. well this yeah. week yeah i mean it's it's totally like you know insane and then um what was the other one um hsbc now said that it, it will reserve the right um you know to close the accounts of customers who refuse to wear a mask in the branches mm-hmm. um you know and uh, somebody else pointed out to me that like you know banks canceling y- your your funds get, keeping or keep canceling you and keeping your funds or calling in your loans will be like the next big move you know they're going to say well we have deemed you a a domestic terrorist and we're going to reappropriate this money as reparations for like uh, black trans lives or something sorry your account is (laughs) gone you know um and you know the deutsche bank thing is particularly hilarious because you know, uh, again, being a truffle swine for hypocrisy is the lowest form of discourse. I should take my own advice. But these are people who have no problem shuffling around like Nazi and Salafist money. But they draw the line at Trump. And I think it's, you know, it, it's probably a very brilliant strategy on their behalf because I think what they're doing is that I th- they know that he's a legal liability for them. He probably triggers a lot of like investigations and hearings, and they've probably wanted to mm. bump him off for a long time. And now they can pretend it's for noble reasons. Just one thing on the tech, and I think it's something that people think is kind of a distinction without a difference, and they don't notice it, but it's actually kind of the most ominous and pernicious thing, is people being kicked off or suspended from platforms for things that they said off of the platform. 
And an example right. of that is mm-hmm. Steve Bannon, who, you know, had his radio show and said, you know, uh, put Fauci's head on a pike or whatever Steve Bannon said. I mean, this is like kind of a Steve Bannon thing to say. And I suppose they could say, well, there was a link to the show somewhere. But it became a news story. And soon after it became a news story, he was he was banned from, from Twitter. And so, I mean, it's beyond what is said on the actual platform. And that's kind of scary, right? I mean, your political opinions being expressed, I mean, as sort of loathsome and horrible as they are, is going to affect your ability to do business with a company and those political opinions aren't said through the tribune of that company. Which makes more sense when you're a public figure and you're buying the public figure's stock, essentially. What makes less sense is if it's a uh, high school kid uh, applying for college and they say X on Facebook and the college gets wind of it and decides, no, we can't have that. Or either either to not accept them or to even expel them. Um, You know, this was a an issue in kind of um, First Amendment jurisprudence in the late 90s and early aughts. Um, And now it's kind of just gone beyond all of that. Um, People will look at your social media past and and in moments of stress, find the thing that seems to maybe overlap with a bad thing and punish you. And that's really bad. I find it really fascinating. I wonder if Deutsche Bank would have acted any differently. I think there was an entire like dominoes uh, structure of people who are waiting for January 6th. And I don't mean that in terms of waiting for a murderous riot on Capitol Hill, which I think caught most people mm-hmm. by surprise, but we're waiting for, uh, finally, we know Joe Biden's going to be the president. Nothing's really going to stop this now. For sure, there's a little bit of a drama still. So all of the people who gathered their courage about Donald Trump in that beautiful time between January 6th and January 21st, whenever inauguration is and like, okay, that's it. You know what? I've had too much. I'm washing my hands. Now that we finally have confirmation that he won't have power anymore. I am going to find my courage. Uh, Mitch McConnell is somebody like that who could have said right after the election, in November. Oh yeah. Joe Biden won. Congratulations, Joe Biden. He could have said that he chose absolutely not to say that. Because he always lives in the terror. He still was trying to win the uh, Georgia runoff seats. And he made the calculation that you don't do that by picking a fight with Donald Trump. He was wrong about that. I think Mitch McConnell made a great speech on certification day. I think that he's been interesting to watch uh, hearing him talking about impeachment now. But everyone gathers their courage in the precise moment when you know, this person is no longer going to have power. So you see that in public opinion polls. And yes, they're mostly um, informed by what happened in the Capitol. Uh, uh, Capitol. But the same kind of thing happened to George W. Bush, by the way, like right when you knew he was he was going to be lame duck and you're not going to have him uh, around to kick anymore. Suddenly, all these conservatives are like, yeah, no, that's just really bad. Um, and I think you're going to see that in the corporate world, Deutsche Bank and everybody else. I think the majority of those people were going to do that anyway. And now they have a, 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 an excuse that looks a lot better from their point of view. But they wanted to do it for a long time. You know, the yeah, Republicans yeah, yeah. hate good. And I think no, no. And I think like even we had a precedent of, you know, the Epstein case was this um, Bernie Madoff was this there that these people were totally reprehensible and and deserved some form of punishment or comeuppance does not, you know, exclude or or negate the fact that they were used also as scapegoats by people who were equally complicit Mm -hmm. in in kind of the same uh, 
systematic rot or you know and you know for for example i've been like a, a critic of me too since day one um arguably a lot of red scares early momentum came from our critique of me too and um what me too really did early on was establish a precedent for the suspension of of due process and the common standard um and i'm talking about like on the level of like ideology or narrative because of course we know that the legal system claims to uh, abide by due process or a common standard but in in reality is riddled with all sorts of kind of like racial and economic biases etc um but it did so in a very sneaky way because who can argue you know with a worthy cause right in this mm. case the, the fact that that women are being abused or harassed and deserve justice um, the slogan in my mind, like "Believe Women," encapsulated this perfectly. Because if if you disagreed with the slogan, that must you mean you, that must mean that you don't feel that women are trustworthy, and that must mean you're a monster and you're like beyond the pale. Um, and, and Me Too was really the, the the dress rehearsal, the kind of test run for all of this. Um, and you know, those of us who saw it coming and were warning about it feel vindicated to some extent. But it's really not a consolation because it kind of mm -hmm. exploded so dramatically you know across the board and the same thing with you know all the people early on who were calling out the the college campus cancel campaigns and people were saying well like it's not a big deal just college students you know uh and now we see this becoming a much more widespread you know phenomenon the same and, thing know, is the same thing is true of course if you don't if you didn't agree with the, the sort of broader platform if there even was one or the individual elements of the black lives matter platform is incredible rhetorical trick the same thing as believe women is to say you know i'm i'm not so sure about this black lives matter which is like a half word <laughs> oh, away, away from saying i don't matter? think black lives matter I'm like wait no. No, no i didn't say that i just think that the, that stuff's kind of bad and, and weird and the woman's <laughs> in like venezuela no, is that, that, no? I'm, uh, and then you just walk away why won't you just say it, black it lives just, matter and it just, yeah. walk away from, just walk away from it but i think i think um you know, Me Too was like the precursor to BLM and then BLM was the precursor to whatever this is, like branding people as domestic terrorists. Um, you know, as someone way smarter said, like, you know, these people don't really want to abolish the police. They want to abolish due process and become the police themselves. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and the thing is, the thing is, what's lost on these people and what like drives me crazy is that, you know, once you abolish due process or the common standard across the board, it's over for you, hoes. You're next. And somehow they don't they don't realize that, that you know, just out of pure self-interest, you don't have to be altrui altruistic to people that you, you know, deem as less than human or whatever. Um, but, you know, the point, as I see it, is is not necessarily to curb free speech or to censor, you know, like heterodox ideas or dissenting voices. It's to create this kind of permanent climate of moral fatigue. And, you know, as mm. I said, I would also not, you know, underestimate how much of this is or will be automated in the future, as, as my case illustrates. Um, mm. I think it, it's favorable to... Uh, the system uh, that you remain in a kind of effective roller coaster at all times, to, mm. you know, regardless of what side you're on. Well, I, I wonder if we could turn the conversation a bit to that, to that exchange that we nearly got into and mm -hmm. kind of been inching closer and closer to about like technology. And yeah. uh, certainly everyone is aware of the, the sort of light speed with which, 
various major Silicon Valley companies um, and social platforms, et cetera, came together and essentially got rid of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, excommunicated from Facebook, from Twitter, from YouTube at this point. Um, Wait, what? He tried to circumvent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and YouTube, by the um, way, is, is exactly what I was talking about. It was not a video that was posted. They what they said was that we don't want him to have the capability to incite violence in the next whatever. So they they um, put the ban to the number of days it is until inauguration. So a day after inauguration, I think his ban uh, from YouTube expires. So it's, I mean, okay. again, it's not, it's not something that's done on the platform. It's they, they're anticipating that he might do something bad sort of preventing him from doing it. Mm -hmm. well, and, it the, the, and it is interesting to, to at least try and analyze the content that's been created by Trump since this, this horribleness has taken place. Um, he's deriding the people who are participating in those riots. In some instances, I, I would say, Ex explicitly right afterwards i understand your concern and your pain <laughs> but go home stop this mm -hmm. so it, in one sense excusing it and in the next we sense, love you saying, go <laughs> no, home. you we love you we love you guys we love you doing amazing I mean, sweetie yeah, no. <laughs> i think like the, you know i have to say like on a lighter note the cutest thing about trump is that he traffics in absolutes and when he sees when he sees a number going up it could be like uh, the, the kind of uh, his stock valuation or the number of deaths and he's just like awesome this is a, the higher <laughs> the higher the better it's oh my gosh um but but i think one one thing i've noticed that i'm i'm here in in san francisco now or at least outside of it and Yuck. i do have a number of friends Literally, in like the tech it's the industry east bay and the, yeah. it's like the east bay it's not even that's not san francisco, san francisco no. you're in the east bay I'm close. You're in the East Bay. Dude, you're only in San Francisco. I don't know. Is that like San the Francisco West like 15 Bank? Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I get there yeah, it's like minutes. Gaza. It's much nicer. There's like bullets nicer flying. Views. If you go out, if you don't go no, outside, no, give and, and it doesn't look like the fucking thriller video of like heroin zombies, <laughs> you're not in San Francisco. During Atherton. Okay, so I'm close enough. I'm close enough that I can get to San Francisco. I was in San Francisco mm -hmm. today. And I know people who work in the valley, mm -hmm. and I can tell you that I've I've heard more than than a few sort of murmurs and whispers of people who who work in these spaces whose heads kind of spun watching this happen um, and seeing the sort of excommunication of people from uh, from Twitter uh, that that has happened and sort of this this machine calling. Um, of the platform for for people and then the parlor ejection again it's just it's made people's head spin and it's not a question of whether or not it's a, a legitimate deplatforming because many of these people believe that this is the right thing mm -hmm. to do um but they're concerned about what it might mean for the next person and i think um, michelle goldberg had this column in the new york times the title of which um sort of sums this up um the title and subtitle anyways that the scary power of the companies that finally shut up trump is the title tech giants were right to ban the president. We still need to break them up. There's this intimation <laughs> that they did the right thing. We're pleased yeah. with them for doing this right thing. They've got way too much power. Please hand those weapons over to us. We'll take care of this from here on out. Um, I, I don't know, um, Anna, what your, your perspective on all of this is. It seems to me that, that there is obviously a fair amount of concern in general about like the amount of power these companies wield, but a lot of uh, disagreement about what ought to be done about it, if anything. 
Um, where where do you come down on all of this? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I'm very mad at you guys that you made me read that article because it was so. <laughs> so, um, you should do, do what I did. I didn't read it. I just read the headline. I got to the part where shit, she mentioned man. our podcast, and I was like, "Well, you know, it's probably better to ban a podcast than it is to ban a sitting president or like <laughs> the leader of a sovereign nation." As she she meant, she suggests that Twitter should ban Khomeini. Oh yeah, who is the legitimate? leader of a sovereign nation i mean this is like for me i don't you know i don't care you know about who trump is or what he's done you don't remove a a, you don't deplatform the sitting president that sets already a horrible precedent and um i think that you know when I, i i first started kind of complaining like sounding off about this um a lot of people were like oh you kind of stupid bitch he deserved this and also um twitter is a private company it can do whatever it wants um everybody's super libertarian (laughs) yeah Yeah, it doesn't matter blah 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 and i was like well it's just twitter that's another one i heard it it doesn't really matter and you know they're right twitter does not matter in the grand scheme of things but if you have various kind of techno affiliates now cracking down and if you can be punished for Mm -hmm. something that you said or did on a totally different platform or you can be punished for like uh, a text you sent or um, a a video you recorded when you were in high school. Like, you know, we should all be living in fear, right? Uh, It creates this kind of like digital Tel Aviv type situation where you're like constantly living in a state of enervation. Um, And, you know, I'm very wary of like, you know, I, I find it to be kind of reprehensible and unjust to, to to ban Trump and to ban Parler for reasons that have less to do with Trump or Parler than with the kind of uh, implications or ramifications that that unleashes. But I'm also wary of the flip side too. You know, of this exploitation of our most basic tendencies. You know, my my example really I think drives the situation home. Like, you know, I got a lot of emails, DMs, podcast invitations from people who were like checking in with me, um, which I really appreciate. But there, you know, there was some articles written about um, how Dasha and I were canceled from the internet. Um, a lot of high profile conservative and libertarian people chimed in. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know virtually all of these accounts you know kind of display not only displayed a kind of a major confirmation bias like the people sounding off on twitter but also failed to to do basic due diligence or basic fact reason. check yeah like yeah you, that, and that's you know insane and like i said you know i'm never going to correct a mistake in my favor I, i'll pretend i'm <laughs> i got suspended until the day i die because maybe somebody will like send me flowers or uh, you know get me an agent or something but um no but it's ridiculous like you can look at the two screens red scare suspended anacotrion deactivated it's like obvious you know i thought this was completely grindingly obvious so i think there's also the flip side where where these kind of like controversies or scandals they inflame they pander to people's appetite for outrage which is like also no mm-hmm. good um just to add yeah. something to this uh by the way in the michelle goldberg article i i read that sentence about you like five times because she uses the word trolley but it's spelled trolley, trolley. 
Yeah. T- so she's really? like the, the trolley podcast, with and I was e? like, "Is that some?" She's calling us fat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, "I think she's calling her fat." I'm yeah. gonna, you know, as somebody who routinely <laughs> fat shames people, um, I want to add uh, another another company to the list, and this is from an hour and a half ago. Uh, Snapchat, which apparently is still around, uh, banned Donald Trump. Uh, waiting, <laughs> waiting on, Snapchat. waiting on Friendster now to like, see if no, he's been, no he's MySpace. been banned from. He's yeah. just like Hot. going from platform to platform, waiting, <laughs> <laughs> waiting to get banned. He'll take whatever platform will take him. I don't even know, like Vine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So to to the I think Stripe Stripe was also part of the yeah, uh, Stripe the, the banning. Stripe Trump, is not um, Stripe decided yeah. to pull um, their services from the, the but Striper. He's still. Uh, this is the statement, by the way. And it's, it's precisely what I was saying. It's not something that he did on Snapchat. In the interest of public safety and based on his attempts to spread misinformation, <laughs> misinformation, hate speech and incite violence, which are clear violations of our guidelines, which, by the way, he didn't do on Snapchat. It's just generally a, a yeah. violation of their guidelines. We have made the decision to permanently terminate his account. So uh, if you're going to go to Snapchat. Nobody talk about y'all Snapchat. Uh, you know, maybe he went on there and said, do, do the violence I did, on Snapchat. Yeah. It's possible. <laughs> do people still use Snapchat? I don't, I don't know. know. I'm like, no. Some, some people. I guess. Do. I don't know. I deleted it but, a but long it is, time ago because my phone ran out of storage. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the chain reaction the from social media companies canceling to mobile apps, like the, the bigger companies, Google and Apple, um, pulling an app from the App Store, the, the various service providers, the domain name service provider, the content delivery network, like pulling their services, ISPs perhaps being unwilling to sell you internet access, mm-hmm. bank accounts, being but but Camille, away, add to this um, bank service, financial services, like that's that's pretty remarkable. That's, I mean, that's pretty extreme. That's spin. pretty much, you know, it's really like sending somebody to the gulag. But the difference is, you don't have to build out an infrastructure to support all those uh, camp members. It really is. It's like it's convenient. Yeah. yeah. No, it's I'm convenient. serious. I mean, it is like. Uh, you know, I made this joke on Instagram. It's like corny as hell, but like it is like a lean gulag. It's a decentralized um, kind of holding tank. And I think like, you know, some friends of mine and I were debating whether uh, anybody would try to take more legal action against Trump or throw him into prison or whatever. Um, And in some sense, you don't really have to because he's already been, um, so kind of thoroughly disgraced and silenced it doesn't really matter what you do with his like physical hulk mm. well it, you know at least in the gulag they built the uh, white sea canal i don't see anything happening yeah. here it's one good thing about it. um to add to it camille <laughs> the, the um uh the blmification of this in one sense and by the way before all of you people sent really annoyed emails we've done i think three uh, Patreon episodes and the one last week where we uh, full-throatedly talked to, denounced all the stuff that's happening. But we're in the point now that we're watching the aftermath of it. And that's why we're talking about this. So stop fucking writing emails. Um, the one thing that I'll say is that the BLM kind of aspect of this is that people are now thinking, companies, that they have to make statements mm-hmm. about what has happened on Capitol Hill. Um, it's amazing. Like, you mm-hmm. know, the BLM thing was like, you know, like, like aeropostale saying, saying, you know, we really, we really hate racism. Great. Fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to know. The, uh, my friend Alex sent me a screenshot from his app, uh, Strava, which is one of these running apps. Um, mm-hmm. and it plots your thing and, and it just has his morning run. 
not bad, uh, the five kilometers. Uh, on top of it, it says, a letter from our co-founders. In the, in the running app, domestic terrorism at the U.S. Capitol threatened democracy. We denounce it, says wow. the app, running app wow. people, which, of course, yeah, it, yeah. is the, the, like, this was it, established it's during... That sounds like a Russian word, first of all. <laughs> it does, yeah. It sounds like Russian collusion to me. I know it's like Pinterest and Peloton saying, like, we stand with black lives and condemn the violence in the Capitol. It's like, this is none of your business. Just stay out of it. <laughs> Keep selling your $3,000 bikes to, like, future divorcees. I actually really want one of those if anybody feels sorry i want one they got cheaper ones they're just so hard i got recommendations i make fun of them because i don't have one my five-year-old i mean if you think it's bad in the corporate world have a kid in the public school system um which none of you do because you're all elites is she she be careful what you wish for yeah Uh is she in comsomol yet has she joined the the young pioneers the five-year-old came home uh uh, i think it was yesterday like hey daddy we talked today about the violent and she talks like this too which is terrifying and listeners know because they've heard from her a couple of times um we talked about the violence Mm -hmm. in the capital um Mm -hmm. and we talked about trump uh and black lives matter and martin luther king so that's what she learned in school we've gotten uh emails from uh, the principals. Yeah, February is going to be a the nightmare. principals of like both of both of my daughters. Oh, terrible yeah. principals of both my daughters' schools. The superintendent of the district, the chancellor of uh, the Department of Education in the city of New York, um, at the minimum. Plus, uh, we've uh, found out that the first week of February is going to be Black Lives Matter Week, which I've always forwarded this stuff to Camille just to make sure that he feels homesick uh, for everything to racially uh, harass him. but like in the first in the first paragraph on most of these things um it'll it'll be talking about white supremacy and i get it that that is a that is a possible takeaway that w- an interpretive takeaway that one might have when you see people wearing Camp Auschwitz shirts. That dude got arrested today, by the way. Oh, did he? Yeah, he did. And they, I mean, good. Who's the Camp good. Auschwitz guy, and is he single? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like the no, he's very married. The, very married. What was 15 the years? Is that, do you actually know? Is that true? You actually know that? Oh, I no. It sounds about right. How do you know? I was like, how do you know? No, he's but, married okay. to wow. Holocaust denial. We're friends. Here's my <laughs> here's my thing with with racism. As a person who gets accused of, of being racist all the time by people who have <laughs> who have no context for my actual racism. No, but for people who have completely no context for like, you know, uh, people hate it when I say this because they're like, you're American, but who have no context for the for the way that like, you know, race was handled in russia where i'm from and where i therefore derive much of my context for for things um i think like the vast majority of people aren't racist because being racist is a pretty time consuming and labor intensive (laughs) process you really have to work hard to hate other people and most people have some you know existing like a bias here or there prejudice i just learned the difference between the two but um you know most people are, are concerned with like not getting fired from their job and putting food on their table for their kids. They're not like seething with racial animus. Yeah. You have to buy the sweatshirt. Except Trump. Except Trump. That's like, he has Trump. racist clothes. That's how serious he is yeah. about racism. He bought like a racist yeah. hoodie. I think if you're buying racist merch, you're probably. <laughs> I haven't bought <laughs> a, a shirt. shirt Unless you're doing it ironically. 15 years. Ironically, yeah. yeah. Right? I, I keep thinking your hat says Whammon instead of winners. <laughs> <laughs> Whammon. Um, but like, 
Is that a is that yeah. a word? It's just the way that I say women. I say it in a weird way, and people think uh, that I. D- people also have accused me of doing it like racistly, and <laughs> after <laughs> after some like right wing YouTube commentator and just like a, a weird personal glitch, you know, uh, that I can't. I don't care to correct anymore because I'm like too old for that shit. But like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the BLM thing is interesting because, again, it's another thing of the, that's like a, basically a worthy cause that you cannot argue with, that you cannot dispute. Um, and I think what it's done is it's raised a lot of money for people in managerial roles, mm. right? Mm. Overall, like if you look at the statistics and it's, you know, created a kind of uh, sub-industry of work, which is like this kind of like racial sensitivity uh, training. Well, we did need jobs, right? Yeah, now. yeah. So, is it, yeah. Anna, is, doing this and saying, like your podcast, for instance, and saying the things you say, and of course saying being accused of racism, I do like the fact that you hide behind you being Russian all the time. Because yeah. for I, me, I, I don't know what that means, but it totally explains everything. I'm like, I don't know what it means, but yeah. that's absolutely true. And because I know I just, there was just like pictures of Paul Robeson all over the, uh, the Soviet Union <laughs> and like Ange- like Angela Davis. And it was like, those are the two black people they knew of. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just we're we're not we're not a human rights oriented society. Not we're really. a civil rights oriented society. We don't. It's not that we don't think Black Lives Matter. We just think no lives yeah. matter because it's been proven by it's example the, many times. It's the opposite of all lives. It's actually, matter. No, no lives, lives matter. matter. No lives matter. Totally fine yeah. to say all lives matter. It's bad. It's, yeah, smart. yeah. I agree. It's I agree. I'm with you. Um, but in in but New York, though, I mean, is you obviously are getting. You know, you're somebody who has a left wing podcast. I mean, this you look at uh, Michelle Goldberg's piece and says, mm-hmm. you know, the trolley left wing podcast. The mm-hmm. two things I think that people would probably want to know is one is give me the left wing um, ideology, because I mean, a lot of the things that you're saying here now kind of overlap, not so much with people on the left these days. I mean, that's probably what makes you uh, in her mind trolley and outside the kind of, you know, current you know, urban lefty bougie mainstream. What is it like? Wh- how are you a lefty? I mean, what is it? What are your lefty views that? Why I, you... I never said I was a lefty. I've never oh, identified didn't? myself. Oh, okay. I don't believe. No, I don't believe. You know, in raising my hand in class. That's another way that Russians and Americans differ. Americans are always the first to raise their hand in class in Russia, just by experience. And this is like kind of. I take no credit for this. It's just hand me down from mm. successive generations of Stalinist terror and uh, uh, <laughs> rapid fire like privatization. Um, people think you're an idiot if you raise your hand and offer to identify yourself. You know, I was reading, leading up to the election, people will all exit polls say, it's like, what kind of credulous idiot answers a poll? Aren't you worried you're going to be thrown into like a a state wide (laughs) database, you know? And I have these impulses that are like probably like archaic and, and obsolete for this moment. But yeah, I mean, I've never identified myself as a leftist and I don't really care to identify myself as anything. You Mm. know, it's I in my mind, the left right divide is completely out of the window. Mm. I mean, people talk a lot about like realignment, whatever that means. Um, But I think the main kind of distinction is between uh, people who are like ideologically possessed and people who are uh, willing to um, examine their own possession by ideal by ideology let's put it that way i mean i'm a a welfareist to some degree i guess in the sense that just my instinctual feeling because i don't know anything about kind of marx or marxism or anything um 
also because my parents were not interested in this because guess what? They had to read it all in school. It was like obligatory and a mm. homework assignment. And they partly moved to this country so I wouldn't have to be burdened with <laughs> with uh, uh, years of learning about communism. That indoctrination. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, my feeling is like uh, I would be happy to uh, be taxed if I knew that that tax that that tax money was going to the least the less fortunate. I'm not interested in asking what those people are doing with their money, right? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, maybe I have a, kind of like a leftist whatever disposition. The the um other thing is you know I I think that most problems, the most cultural issues like racism and sexism can be if not solved then significantly mitigated by reforms that target economic inequality but this should go without saying and i think that a lot of people across the spectrum are kind of aligned on that thinking right people get mad at you um particularly young people in their 20s that that come out of college you know all politicized and you know i was like they are, everything is political and the obsession with politics and I, I i tend to think that i'm wrong about this in the sense that that i have you know made up this glory time that in the past where the, everything wasn't politicized like so for instance today i sent you guys a thing and it's in the daily beast where i used to work which is now effectively you know a sort of a medium quality college newspaper and there is a piece on Matthew McConaughey that was literally 3,000 words about the fact that he went on Jordan Peterson's podcast. And I was like, who the fuck cares? This sort of politicization of everything has made me so exhausted with ideology. And when I say things like, I mean, it, there's just these rote responses. If you say, you know, I'm sort of more interested in class than I am in kind of race or in people listen to this podcast, no, and accuse me of being a commie because of it, um, than I am in race and gender and, and, and these things. Um, there's just an instant reaction to that, that if you're outside of the, the kind of, what is it? Uh, what do you call that? stupid ideology where they all cross paths. What is it called? Intersectionality. Intersectionality. Yeah. Intersectionality. Wow. <laughs> you see how much I, I care about this stuff? I just, if I see that word, it just, I just go blank. So I can't even remember it. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, the, 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 how pervasive that stuff is in just sort of ordinary college educated, it just drives me crazy because I'm so bored with it. I find myself like when I go, like when I have to drive, I drive home and it's a long drive. And, um, I find myself never listening to things. I'm not listening to music that are about politics that are things that are happening now. No, God never. No. I just, I mean, like, you know, if I have to listen to an audio audio, but it's never a political thing. And I used to actually have interest in that, but I think everyone's ruined it for me. All young people have ruined it for me when they're, you know, see a book that comes across the table of an editor at, at the publishing company they work for. And they decide to stage a walkout within 30 minutes. I just, it seems like a horrible and miserable way to live. I defy anybody um, to, especially though, not only in New York, to listen to your local NPR. Oh, it's insane. From <laughs> seven in the morning all the way it's to true. nine in the morning before like, not just turning it off, but like hucking shit out the window taking a pellet gun to it, whatever it's, it, it's, it's, it's horrifying. Every, every transaction is scrutinized for its political and also racial uh, component, sometimes gender component. 
and it's 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 miserable. It's just like reading, you know, the, I send these guys uh, about once every two weeks, probably a uh, a cover of a picture of the cover of the New York Times sports section on Sunday yeah. because on Sundays, because it's just never about like sports and I'm a stupid. Well, it's, it's kind of passingly, but there's something very Soviet about it. in this, in the fact that, you know, you can't imagine that in the fifties Pravda Izvestia is writing just an average article about, you know, music or theater without talking about the political component of it. That's right. where we are. And it's, it's not, it's not terrifying. It's just boring. I'm incredibly bored by it all. I can't get through, you know, any magazine. It's embarrassing too, actually. That's actually a better way of putting it. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You read, you know, you read sports magazines for the, I mean, I don't know if anybody reads whatever sports (laughs) publications for sports and you read, you know, like, and you know, the, the thing that you kind of alluded to the, was it Jordan Peterson when he like, yeah. Popped out of his Russian coma and wrote yeah, 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 more yeah. rules for life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and these people, the, the, I mean, this is another one of those things, like where um, the uh, employees were having like a town hall yeah. and, and internally reporting him. Did, yeah. What happened with this book? Did it get pulled in the end, or are they moving forward with it? I don't know. The last one sold like eight billion remember. copies. I would hope that they would say, "Go I fuck think, yourself." I it's, think they decided to do it to publish it but there was a lot of like it was penguin and it was, it was a, penguin in yeah. canada yeah and penguin canada. And, and which i mean it's not a country Canadian, so. so that's why i can't listen to <laughs> it's it it's not even a real publishing house <laughs> um, but it's so embarrassing because it's you know aside from the fact that these people have, are so like these employees are so um kind of like thin-skinned um there's uh, which is you know cringy to to bear and to witness um, there's also the bigger issue that I think employers have now figured out that they can um, emotionally appease their employees oh, instead God. of properly compensating them. You can ha- have like a town hall with the boss and he's like, yeah, we'll drop that racist guy as a client or whatever, or fire that sexist guy who like, uh, you know, cleans the bathrooms. But in <laughs> the, the meantime, you're making $35,000. Mm. Um, you're third, you know, the, there's so many, like, I'm like a broken record with this. Um, uh, there are kind of like, uh, I, I know a lot of people who work in tech in New York. And, and one of the things that um, they've, several people have mentioned to me is that as part of your employment package, they now offer you like 10K to freeze your eggs or undergo gender reassignment. Which is, by the way, such a such oh. a paltry, unambitious sum of money. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, 10k. Um, uh, I don't get out of bed That's for under. No, um, it's a Linda Evangelista <laughs> quote. No, of course, but it is. You know, in the grand scheme of things, um, uh, I'm like Fran Lebowitz. I have like a deep contempt for money, but I like things, so it like <laughs> is an impossible situation. Um, Why not both? Uh, yeah, Russian. it's hard. Yeah, um, but um. You know, they're offering you money. I mean, you think of what that really means. They're offering you money to stay on their payroll forever and defer your, you know, life. They're defer starting a family, for example, which is really what it's about. And in the meantime, they'll let you kind of lodge internal complaints about racism and sexism. Yeah, that's right. I was very impressed by Google having the daycare. I'm like, you know, that's just... Well, that's just very... so you can stay longer, right? <laughs> that's so you don't leave. I mean, that's not very hard to figure out. They're like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. Interesting. I do. I do love sliding in that very traditional sentiment. Having a family is what it's all about. 
Like women should be barefoot and pregnant. Well, n- uh, n- uh, right not there. all women. In the ovaries. <laughs> Punch you right women. in the ovaries. <laughs> not not all women. But I think for, no, no, not I'll, all women, I'll, of course. I, but for the vast majority of women. Yeah, no, not the ugly ones. <laughs> yeah. They should not procreate at all. Uh, so that was a joke. That's not a bad joke. I'm not laughing. That's not. I'm going to cancel you guys. No, I'm kidding. That was a pretty funny joke. I'm finished. No, I like that joke. I I was going to say, the one thing about what you said is um, the the notion that these companies have figured out they can manipulate their employees. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they've got another thing coming. Mm -hmm. Like the thing about capitulating to to these mobbings in your place of work or as like the proprietor of some establishment. Um, is that it never ends. There's always some fresh outrage. Right. And the mob can never be satisfied. Like once you've acknowledged your your awfulness, your your sinful brokenness, like you'll always be unclean forever. Yeah, no one no one capitulates and once. That that's the trap. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. the trap. Because yeah, well, they, they get very so excited I about that, it. I don't know that you you get them. They, they yeah. get well, I mean, I, I think it probably depends on the scale of the company also. Some of these companies are literally like too fat to fail. So, you know, they can go on forever. Like Jeff Bezos is not going to be intimidated by a mob. But I think like, yeah, on the lower kind of rung, certainly. I mean, there was that also situation. Um, I think there was a to that point that you guys made earlier there was a yoga studio i think that forgot to issue like a an obligatory blm announcement and they got canceled Mm. Mm -hmm. this was in new york yeah they didn't say anything they didn't say anything but that alone was evidence of a deep-seated profound yeah corruption there's a point at which you cancel or or you do this thing to so many people that you know it creates the 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 back i mean you expected it to create the backlash but it's kind of hard to do but somebody sent me today and i don't might know these people there was a you know website slash you know social media thing called uh, man repeller i think it still exists and man oh, repeller God. it was like a fashion <laughs> kind of thing and the woman i know about this yeah it's and so the woman who um was the and her name is leandra cohen who was the yeah. head of, of Man Repeller, was canceled for, I don't know, she was racist or something against black female employees. And it was completely incoherent. I had no idea. And she, of course, did all the obligatory stuff of, of apologizing in the kind of Khmer Rouge way where you know you're going to get assassinated and you're going to get shot, but you just do it anyway, just in that, you know, it's like it's like converting to Catholicism, you know, as the shell is about to land on you. And she, uh, somebody sent this to me uh, right now, she on... Um, Instagram just posted a screenshot of uh, Barry Weiss's new Substack saying, like, check this out. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, so this is what happens. This is, I mean, she went from that point of being like, you know, like publicly Hostage flogging notes. herself and then just saying, like, fuck it, I'm just going to, you know, post Barry Weiss stuff on, <laughs> on Instagram. Well, so. it's funny because there's a lot of, I, there have been a few instances of like former fashion bloggers getting kind of woke in the old sense of the word. Yeah. Um, yeah all this fashion blog stuff i'm so embarrassed to admit it was kind of like the backdrop to to my like early and mid-20s um but it's stupid i mean these people are are, are horrible like privileged idiots um who are like canny in business or whatever but also these cancellations are always just like opportunistic Mm. are there any Um, photographers left i think they've all been canceled right it seems like every fashion photographer has been canceled um, they're all women now. <laughs> okay, all right, good. But are they? But are they women of color? Uh, um, we didn't. We didn't fix the tech thing 
and right. people will be sad about okay. that. Okay. But I, I suppose we can fix that next week. Yeah, we'll fix it. Um, we also, I think there was probably a passing mention um, about efforts in the immediate aftermath of the the attack on the Capitol. Uh-huh. Um, and that's not sarcasm. I just, that, that's just how I talk. I'm sorry. Um, the attack on the Capitol. We didn't talk about the, or at least didn't talk at length about this, these conversations that were happening about domestic surveillance, mm-hmm. expansion of domestic terror surveillance programs and debates about whether or not we needed to institute these new policies immediately and to find and prosecute all of the various bad actors it's, who were obviously part of a, a deep, well, some sort of deep-rooted insurgent terrorist campaign spread out across america it's going to be with us at, at the moment i started seeing those things go around the the hairs on the back of my neck like literally started to stand up we've got some weeks to go yet um before well no we've got about a week to go before the new administration um is in place and after that i mean we we're going to be having conversations about uh, a newly empowered democratic party uh a Republican party that's kind of on its knee, um, just begging for air. And there are a lot of bad ideas floating around in the ether. Um, so we've got a mean, lot of interesting things to tangle with. I mean, do you mean like the, the, the crackdowns that on, I mean, I think every, you know, nine eleven was a great illustration of this, right? The kind of crackdown on, uh, individual freedoms, civil liberties that happened in the wake of 9-11 um, because people could slide, you know, exploit the trauma and pain to slide in kind of opportunistic uh, policy measures. And I think there's like more of that on the horizon. I think that that's why I'm so disgruntled with kind of the squad because um, uh, they have, you know, kind of a- any lingering hope that they were actually on the left has d- dissipated at this point. They were at the front lines calling for Trump's impeachment. I think AOC was on Twitter saying like, well, Apple, Google, what are you going to do to like ramp up uh, your mm-hmm. like <laughs> persecution essentially of uh, conservatives? And that's a very frightening thing because um you know, I I really like I'm at my wits end. I started finally like outlining like an essay and then like a longer thing about this kind of use of like parasocial like empathy politics that's big now among mm. kind of a, the younger set of politicians, um, w- which, you know, is designed, you know, it's a very dangerous political instrument. This I'm OK. Are you OK? I almost died sort of thing. Um, it's a very dangerous political instrument because it's designed to appear kind of unfalsifiable and unassailable, right? You can't prove that she didn't have a brush with death. You are a monster if you try mm. to counteract it. Uh, again, what kind of a person would you be to argue with that? A, a person who, for example, does not deserve understanding or redemption. And mm. I think all of this kind of empathy stuff, what it does is it actually sets up a kind of foil that is dehumanized and it preemptively pathologizes any potential dissent that might arise. The, the empathy, and, yeah, is done by people who are... Who lack empathy. Lack empathy. And are, tend to be horribly mean and nasty, particularly on places like Twitter. But the 9-11 comparison, I think that one difference is, is that 
9-11, this stuff was pushed through mostly by, well, it was, it was kind of engineered by the John Hughes of the world and Republicans mm-hmm. and Democrats came on board and, you know, Joe, Joe, Bi- Joe, Joe Biden, Biden took a lot of credit. And Joe Biden didn't get a single question about that during, during the election. And then mm. it sort of went away and there was a lot of criticism, particularly from started on like the Chomskyite left and kind of, you know, m- migrated towards, you know, the American prospect and the nation and things like that. And, and the framing of it was uh, one about race in a way, about Islamophobia. And so now when you have like this, the, the people on this side are victims, they're being persecuted because of, you know, their skin color of their skin, which, you know, is kind of a weird thing to say in that situation. But, you know, it's because of Islam, et cetera. Now, when the people that are, are the beneficiaries of these, these uh, programs, if they're going to be those um, cosplayers, I don't think there's going to be a backlash. I mean, wh- where would the backlash come from? Outside of the Glenn Becks of the world and outside of the the kind of uh, conservative firm. Hardeningly, I've seen from a couple of people, including AOC and I think at least one other either squad member or squad adjacent person. Ilhan Omar today. Might have been her um, saying like, hey, look, we did some bad overreaction to 9-11. Let's not jump into new legislation. This is not going to mean that they're not going to support some new not legislation and no fly lists right. and stuff that enforcement actions. I presume they're going to support all kinds of bad things, but I was happy to at least hear the notes. It'd be great if people had muscle memories for every time that we're freaked out as a country, we make hasty and bad decisions that lead to security. We had like Republicans bitching about, uh, Congress uh, members are bitching about going through metal detectors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, today, mm-hmm. and it's like, dudes, we're still taking off shoes. I mean, those of us who haven't signed up for <laughs> um, the proper way to uh, free, evade free that. Check and clear. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but like a lot of people are still like checking their shoes, and that security theater that everyone, I mean, anyone who goes to a baseball game, not that anyone goes to baseball games anymore, but you have to go through a long metal detector line. You can also use clear now there too, which is great. Is the, the that's pri- not true. The, yes, it is the private. Yeah, you can. The private sector. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can. Holy Wait, you crap! Can, what's clear? Clear is a company it's a scientology thing we meant basically to talk to you about that yeah this is uh, that you have that's the you have the audit like the things in your ears (laughs) so you're ready to go the it is a company where you takes it's weird because it takes like two seconds to sign up they scan your retinas and they they put you in some database and then um you just have to make sure you're not muslim yeah Yeah. basically it's an it's (laughs) they have this anti-muslim technology is incredibly advanced it can actually uh, uh spot bosnians which is very hard to do um, and it gets you get through and uh, you skip the whole line. It's uh, yeah. and, and you can use that all over now. So it, yeah. it's the, the government right. inefficiency is a, is a opportunity for, for uh, the private sector. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you, you know, you're between a rock and a hard place. Like either you have to take off your shoes like, you know, a, a humiliated dog taking a dump on the curb while the owner looks away in embarrassment every single time you go through one of these like bear belts. Or you have to, um, you know, have a, a, a social media credit score and, and fork over your data to some app. I mean, it's always like, so my my fear with um, all of these kind of um, tremors or whatever shocks is that it, they will be used in, in the future, in the near future, to push through more and more kind of austerity and surveillance measures. Yeah. And that all of our kind of leftist sweethearts will be on board with this. 
they that's already are. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, a lot of ways they already are, right? Yeah. And right now, there's just there's no strong break against it. Like that's the what happens in moments of this amount of stress when everyone kind of basically agrees that what happened sucked. I mean, maybe Matt Gates or whatever his name is um, mm-hmm. has a different view, but like for the most part, like it's bad. Um, and that's, you know, on one hand, great solidarity on the other hand, like, Oh crap. So now there's going to be nobody uh, with any power to say, slow down. Don't, don't jump into it. Well, people don't understand. And I think this is when we use concepts that aren't actually legal concepts there in other countries, but not here, like particularly things like hate speech is that they kind of inflate these and in, in, in create these kind of legal regimes in their head. Like for instance, when I said the Corey Bush thing is that look, you know, Josh Hawley is a, like a jerk off, but he has every right to say that I think that this is stolen and I think this is right. And he doesn't he doesn't have to, you know, present evidence. I think it's all dumb. Right. And I've been very clear about that. But she's like, well, he has to be be, be actually expelled, not by the voters, but by her. Uh, from Congress for doing this on what grounds? I mean, th- although it's not even t- what Josh Hawley is saying at this, point. it isn't. Like but at this point, she, he's, he's not saying that. she has expanded this, by the way, to more than yeah. more than Josh Hawley of these people, and she's made yeah. a list of these people who should be expelled from Congress. I mean, you've been in Congress for six days, and you're tr- already, you know, sort of indulging that authoritarian instinct to kick people out because they have shitty views. I mean, well, mm-hmm. that's what Washington's all about. It's all people with shitty views. Come on, yeah. Well, we should we should probably wrap this up right. and get out of here. Um, I, I am remembering um, that the AOC video that we talked about earlier. Um, she also actually no, this was in the in the interview. She also talked about her belief that there were certain members <laughs> of Congress who were vehement white supremacists who mm-hmm. were most certainly likely to give up her location mm-hmm. to the mob that was coming into the capitals. So I thought we didn't like conspiracy theories murdered, <laughs> which I mean, but she also said the election was stolen, right? Wow. She did. She did. That was in, amazing. In did, breath, no one in one breath. She says, she says, you know, Oh my God, did Donald Trump, this was a legit and fair election, except for, you know, all the voter suppression that the Republicans used, which, you know, it's a little generous to call it a fair election. She which, literally again, said that it's generous. To call it a without fair missing a beat. <laughs> And and don't realize the hypocrisy in it because whatever it's it was um, so strange. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. it's okay, gonna be a fun couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be fun. At all. Um, well, Anna, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks uh, thank for, you for having me. Your optimistic and positive outlook on 2021 and how wonderful things are going to be and us <laughs> overcoming the pandemic. We're excited too. Is there such a thing <laughs> as a positive and optimistic Russian? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. 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 I mean, come on. I'm think- an optimistic. I'm. I'm a true optimist. I always say that. Um, uh, Russians are are optimists masquerading as as uh, cynics. Yeah. Well, Ayn Rand was a was an optimist too. Oh, so dear yeah. God. Yeah. No. No. Well, Please she was don't. the wrong kind of Russian. I guess I am too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.